Thanks for listening to Connection Church's podcast. Today's message is part of our series, In This House. There are certain things that define every household, things that make them unique, and things that they value. A church many times functions the same way. In this series, we are going to look at the things that are important to us here at Connection. In this first message, our senior pastor, Brandon Williams, talks about the importance of God's Word and challenges us with its role in each of our daily lives. Morning. How's everybody? Good, 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 good. All right. Man, glad you're here today. And um, I love starting out a service um, or the message with a video like that, that, just a testimony of a couple of people who met Christ here um, through the church and, and through a lot of you guys serving and pouring into their lives and, and hearing their testimony about what God's done in them, what God's now doing through them, um, and what he continues to do in them. And when we think about that, we think about it, it's like we're, we're all one family, right? I mean, we're all a community. We're a community of believers doing life together, living life together. And uh, I love celebrating that. And, and this series is actually celebrating that very same fact that, that we're called together um, to be a family, to, to be um, one body that moves together, that um, proclaims the gospel together, that serves together, that loves together, that goes out and reaches a community and a world with the love of Christ and, and seeing heart transformation take place. Um, and that's why we called this series, this next series that we're going to do, um, In This House. And if you think about it, in, in every house there are things that we instill in um, our family, they're important to our family, that we, we want our children to do, that we want them to know, um, that we want to characterize their lives. And, and so as we think about this series, I want you to think about it as in this house, in this family, in this body of believers, what's important to us? What do we value? What, what things are, are um, I guess, not um, optional? Things that we hold to, things that we stand on, and things that this church is always going to be about. And so with that in mind, um, our first topic that we're going to look at, and the first thing that I believe is the foundation of ministry, is the foundation of life. Um, it is the source of life, um, the source of our faith, um, and, and the very thing that we stand on is God's Word. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. Um, I'm excited about it. I believe God's going to move in an incredible way in our hearts. I believe that His Word is true, um, that His Word never returns void. It'll accomplish the purposes for which it was sent. And I believe God's word was sent to reconcile us to him and to each other. So I'm going to pray and uh, then we're going to jump in here and talk about the word of God. Lord, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to open your word. God, I thank you that, that today, God, as we, we hold our Bibles in our hands, as we look at your word, um, whether it's on an iPad, an iPhone, um, God, whatever it may be, Lord, I thank you that we don't hold an ordinary book, we don't read ordinary words, but they're extraordinary and they have the power to change lives, they have the power to go to the core of our being and change us forever. And God, I pray that that would happen for each one of us. I pray, God, today that we would be taught, that we would be rebuked, that we would be corrected and we'd be trained, that we could live for you, God, bring glory to your name. We thank you for Jesus, the sacrifice he paid on the cross for us. Yes, in his name we pray, amen. Amen. Um, I want to start out just saying that there's a question that we typically get here at our church. There's, there's a couple of things, a few questions that we kind of get repeatedly, but one of them, probably the biggest question I get, and one of the questions that um, our staff gets repeatedly, um, is what made your church so successful, right? Why, why, how did you go from four and a half years ago, you know, having 12 people in a living room to now 
you know, some Sundays having a thousand people. How did that happen? What did you do? And, and I'll have pastors who call me sometimes, and it happened a, a real, real, a whole lot, but happens periodically where I'll have somebody call me and say, hey, can I come by and pick your brain? Because I'm looking at planning a church, I'm looking at starting a church, and I'd really like to ask you some questions about what you did that was successful. And I have to be honest with you, I'll share anything I've learned, whatever that might be. Had a guy one time say, do you mind if I take notes? And I was like, if I say anything that is noteworthy, write it down. I, I promise, I don't care. But like that, you, your, your pad may be blank, you know? And so I, I'm share anything, but I, I was thinking about that this week and I was thinking about how funny that is to me because if I were to write a book about church planning, it would be the worst church planning book ever written. Bar none, the worst. Because we did everything as backwards and as wrong as you could possibly do it. Like, I didn't even know in the church world that starting a church was called church planning. I didn't, had no idea what that meant. And so, um, we started a church about a year and a half later. Somebody's like, oh, you're a church planner. I, I had no idea what that means, dude, my bad. And so they killed, and, and so I was thinking about it. if I were to write a book, what would it include? Like, what would it say? The first thing it would say is like, go through the worst experience of your life. Not even knowing for sure you want to be in ministry and then start the church, right? Because that was my story, right? Or then it might be something like this. You've got to have a great location. So pick a pond house six miles outside of Statesboro that nobody knows where it's at hardly, you know, and start meeting there. And then you have to have an optimal, invitable time. And so do it at 6.30 on Monday nights. Y'all see how ludicrous this was, right? And you have to have a great worship team and people have to experience great worship. And so this is what you need to do. Take your laptop, borrow a projector, borrow a screen, get an iTunes playlist and play the songs on the iTunes playlist, put them on the screen and let people sing them. And then you have to have a state-of-the-art children's area so you can tell people are laughing, we're there. So this is what you do. Put them on a screened-in back porch in December. <laughs> it was either we're going to be cold or they're going to be cold. Y'all lose. Get you some propane heaters that blow a flame about four feet long, look like a jet engine. Put them on that porch and then... Tell people, we'll take good care of your kids. I literally told the, the person that was helping with our kids one night, I said, I don't care if they learn anything, just don't let them get on fire. And, and, and I mean, it was just crazy things that, that never should have worked. And I'll tell you, I was going back through a lot of that this week, and, and, and I do that quite often. I'll just go back and I'll start thinking about where God's brought us and what God's done in the last four and a half years um, of the existence of this church. And, and every time I do, I'm amazed and I'm encouraged because it shows me like there's somebody bigger than us is in charge of this. Like it never should have worked. And so when people call and they're like, hey, can you tell us what made you successful? Part of me laughs because there's no formula to it. There's nothing that we really did. 
I think in life, in churches, we want a formula that if we do A plus B plus C, we'll always get D. And it just doesn't happen. I think in our own personal lives, we rather have the preacher come in and say, if you'll do X, Y, and Z, your life will end up this way. And it just doesn't always work that way. We can give everybody a formula. We can try to fit everybody into this pattern, into this, you know, this, this, this mold, but Life doesn't fit into a mold. I don't know if you've noticed or not, but it it tends to not go neatly into rows and columns. It tends to spill out all over the place. You ever notice that? There's just not this pattern. And so I was thinking about it this week and and thinking about this, all the stuff that God's done. And I was like, the only thing that we knew starting out, the only thing that we know now, the only thing that I can say brought success to the church is that we've been faithful to this. That's it. There is no formula. There is nothing. And this is what I believe with all my heart. If you preach this word, people come to know Jesus. If you preach this word and you are faithful to this word, the power of the Holy Spirit is in this word. It is truly living and active and people's hearts really are changed. We see that all the time for four and a half years we have had the privilege and the blessing to be on a ride with God that simply has been amazing because we've seen God change hearts for us to think that we have had really anything to do with that other just being faithful to God be arrogant and it'd be untrue because the only thing we've done is preach this I can tell you this in our lives The best way to live our life is to read God's word and do what it says. The best way for us to lead a church, the best model for church is to read God's word and do what it says. It's the bottom line. But for each one of us in here, I would dare say that when we're looking for answers in life, there's a lot of places we run other than this, isn't there? And yet this holds every answer. It holds the key to life. It is life. My prayer today is that we would see the importance of this. That that we would truly see that this is not an ordinary book. This is not like holding a copy of Moby Dick. It's not just some ancient book. Man, it is alive. And it changes hearts. You can even look at history and see that this isn't an ordinary book. If you go back and you begin to look at at, at how this book was put together, how it was written, you begin to see that it's not an ordinary book. You begin to come to the conclusion that this book is absolutely extraordinary. And we begin to see that it does have power, that it does do what God says it will do. You begin to see how historically accurate this book is. You begin to realize that this book It's a unified message without contradiction. It's accurate. You can go back and there's thousands of manuscripts that have been found with the Bible, for the Bible, for the letters, for the Gospels, for all the books. And you can go back and there's no doctrinal errors in any of them. There's no doctrinal contradictions in any of them. You can take the accuracy of the Bible. Many archaeologists use the Bible to find ancient ruins. And it's so funny to me. Have y'all ever noticed this? That you'll be watching like Discovery or you'll be watching History and, and, and they're trying to disprove the Bible. And so they're like, well, the Bible says that the city of da 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 um, is located at such and such and such and such, but it's not there. 
And then like three weeks later, you flip it by Fox News or CNN News, depending if, if you're Republican or Democrat, whatever you are. And so you flip it by one of those channels and they're like, ancient city of da-da-da-da-da found da-da-da-da-da, you know? And it's like, the Bible's true again. And every time they try to disprove it, they prove it. And it's historically accurate. There's nothing wrong in the Bible. It's accurate. You look at it and you see the trustworthiness of the authors. You see people who were writing to, to other people and they had nothing to gain. Listen, the writers of the Bible, they weren't getting rich off of what they wrote. Barnes and Noble was not calling them. There were no publishers going after them so they could make money. In fact, the reality of it is they gave their lives for what they wrote. And so you begin to see, like, if I'm those people, man, think about this. You put yourself in their shoes. You know that Jesus really didn't rise from the dead if you're one of those, the, the people who were claiming he was. And, and you're, you're writing all these letters and you're building the church. And they come to you and they're like, all right, man, listen, Peter, we're about to crucify you upside down. If you don't say that Jesus really didn't rise, you know, go, die, go in a tomb and come out three days later. You're going to hang upside down until you die. If I know that's not true, what do I do? Hey, guys, we gotta, I need to tell y'all something. Like, that whole Jesus thing, like, we made it up. In fact, I can show you where his body is. But they didn't do that. Why? Because they knew it was the truth. Listen, people, people will never die for what they know to be a lie. But people will die for the truth. And that's what they did. And we see the trustworthiness of it. They had nothing to be gained, not on earth, but they knew their treasure was in heaven. You go on and you see the indestructibility of the Bible. It's extraordinary. It's not ordinary. It is indestructible. Since the, the, the earliest times of the church, people have been trying to destroy the Holy Scriptures. You look at it, there was a guy named um, Diocletian. Anybody ever heard of Diocletian? I don't know if I said that right. Act like I did. Diocletian, right? Roman emperor. And he decided that he was going to rid the earth of the Bible. You know, there's more copies of the Bible printed in history than any other book. Way to go, Diocletian. Your life was a failure, right? <laughs> and so he tried to destroy it. But here's the thing he would do. He would have the Romans, they would go up to Christians and they would say, if you do not give us your copies of the scripture, we're going to kill you. We're going to burn you. We're going to crucify you. We're, you're going to die a torturous death. And you know what they did? Kill us. Because the word meant that much to them. Does that not contrast with us when most of us on Sunday morning can't find it? Like, where is it? Where is it? And so you're digging through your car. It's like, I think I had it last Sunday. And finally you find it up underneath like an old French fry, if you're my truck, French fry carton. And up under the seat. Oh, there it is. What a contrast. You can look at the Bible and you see things inside the Bible that show us it's not an ordinary book. It is extraordinary. You look at the unity of this book. I mean, there's 66 books written by over 40 authors from three different continents in three different languages over 1,500 years. And the same message is spoken from beginning end and every book every word whether you're in John or whether you're in Leviticus and it's talking about killing animals all points to one moment in history 
Jesus Christ on the cross. Now you tell me how somebody could have manipulated that to happen. 66 books over 1,500 years written by over 40 different people. Three different languages, three continents, and it all proclaims a unified message. It's not ordinary. It's extraordinary. There's over 300 Old Testament prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. Over 300 Old Testament detailed prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. And I know what somebody just thought in here. You say, well, Nostradamus had prophecies that came true, right? No. These are detailed prophecies down to how he would die. Talking about crucifixion hundreds of years before anybody had been crucified. Over 300 detailed prophecies. And you see that. And and, and I started looking at some things and studying some things I'm always fascinated by. But you know the probability of Jesus only fulfilling eight of those 300 prophecies and not being the son of God? So in other words, he fulfilled eight of them. And then we could say, well, maybe it wasn't him. They figured out the probability of that. And for you math majors, you'll understand this a little bit better. But the probability of him fulfilling just eight of the prophecies. And not being who he says he is? One times ten to the seventeenth. That's crazy. Some of y'all, like, if you have no idea what I just said, raise your hand. You're my kind of people. You know what I'm saying? Satan invented math. That's all there is to it, bottom line. I'm sure he, he, he invented it to occupy our mind with useful things. And, you know, all I need to know is, like, number four combo. That's all the math. That's all the math I need. And so, but you think about one times 10 to the 17th. Basically, the way I understand that is you take a one and you put 17 zeros behind it. That's a big number. But for those of you who are mathematically challenged, as am I, let me tell you another example. They, they, they went and they said, well, what is this probability? How can we figure out this probability and relate it in a way that people can understand? And one thing that I read said that you could take silver dollars Stack them two feet high, spread them all the way across the state of Texas. And you know, Texas is a big state, right? I'd like to have all those silver dollars, by the way. And stack them two feet high all the way across the state of Texas. Have someone color one of them red, place it in the middle of Texas. You blindfold yourself, walk out into the state of Texas, bend down, pick up a silver dollar. And it's the red one. The probability of Jesus not being who he says he is, having fulfilled just eight prophecies. Not to mention that there's over 300. I'm telling you guys, this book is not ordinary. It is extraordinary. And its origin is not simply from this earth, but it is divine. The last one I would tell you is its unique power and authority. It's not ordinary. It's really, we've seen its unique power and authority. If you're a Christian in here, you have experienced the power and the authority of God's word. One day, somebody opened God's word and they shared the gospel with you, whether it was over a cup of coffee, whether it was at lunch, whether it was in a church service, and something went off in your heart and it said, that is true. And you began to read the word of God and it began to speak to your heart and your heart has never been the same. Why? Because this word is living and active it came into your heart and it changed your life forever it's powerful it's accurate it's not ordinary it's extraordinary 
And I would tell you this, that I believe with all my heart, the most important question you'll ever answer is, do I believe the Bible is God's word? You say, well, what about, do I believe if Jesus is the Messiah? Well, if you believe God's word, that's what you believe. And you can't know God's word without knowing Christ. And you can't know Christ without knowing God's word. The Bible says that in the beginning was the word, the word was with God. The word was God, meaning Jesus is the word. The word is Christ. He shows us himself through the Bible. The question I would ask you is, do you believe that this is the word of God? If you don't, I pray that today through this message that your heart would be open, that you would realize that through a powerful revelation of the Holy Spirit that your heart would be open to realize the truth of this word. And for some of you, there'll be times, or maybe you're going through this right now, where there's something in your mind that just says, I don't know if I can grasp it, but there's something in your heart that just says, it's true. Let me encourage you with this. You'll never wrap your mind around the God of the universe. But the way I know that this word is true is because of the way it speaks to my heart, the way it's changed my life, the way God has used it to make me a different person. To fulfill 2 Corinthians 5.17 that he is in Christ as a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. It's the power of God working in our lives to change our lives. And if we say we believe this and we say that this is the word of God, then it carries serious implications for our life. It, it carries amazing authority in our lives. In fact, I want to read a scripture to you out of 2 Timothy chapter 3. In verse 16, it says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. See, if we say this is the Word of God, and, and I believe with all my heart that it is, I would say that your confession of it being the Word of God does not change whether or not it is the Word of God. But for those of us who do say it's the Word of God, there's some serious implications because this, this Bible that we say is from God says that all Scripture is God-breathed, meaning that God spoke it, that God breathed life into it. It's just like when he created Adam and he breathed life into Adam. God breathed life into his word. So when we hold this Bible, we don't hold an ordinary book. It has extraordinary power that is capable of changing our lives when we do what it says. When it comes in the power, the Holy Spirit has it's been in power. When we read it, it works and changes our lives. It has special authority because it came straight from God. It means God breathed it. He spoke it. Like if you hold your hand up, just think, just hold your hand up like this and say, ah, right? Do it. What? It's not optional. <laughs> ah, like Brandon. See, what did you feel every time you said those words other than sick at your stomach? Breath. So when God spoke, that's why sometimes when I preach, spit comes out of my mouth. Because when we speak, breath is behind it. And God's breath, his spirit is in the word. It's behind the word. It's empowering the word. It's not an ordinary book. It's extraordinary. And I believe this. If we... And especially according to 2 Timothy 3.16, if we believe that God's word 
carries this authority. We believe that it is alive and active as Hebrews 4.12 tells us it is. And if we've experienced it, there are some implications for our life that Timothy says right here that become true. We begin to experience the life of God. And it says that the Bible, because it is alive, because it is active, because it is from the heart of God, has the ability and the power to do some things. And I want you to see these real quick. The first one is it says it's useful for teaching. So when we read the Bible, it teaches us we're being taught how many of you could stand to learn something we could all learn something every day especially about God we'll never exhaust the knowledge of God we'll never exhaust the riches of the gospel every time we read the Bible we're learning something God is teaching us something I would tell you this God is not just interested in giving you information nor is he just interested in giving you revelation but his desire is to give you transformation into his image And so many of us come to the word of God and we think that the point of it is for us to be in God's word and God wants us in his word so that he can change our morality when God's real desire is for us to read his word, for his word to get in us and for it to change our hearts. But we come to it with this legalistic mindset. I've got to get into this. If I don't, he'll hate me. When in reality, God wants to get into you. Because he loves you and he cares about you. It's useful for teaching. It says it's useful for rebuking. How many of you like to be rebuked? Nobody. And so somebody comes up to you and you think, Hey man, I I think you're getting kind of prideful. And you're like, Your mama. (laughs) You know, because nobody likes to be rebuked. Nobody likes to be told that there's something that's not right in our lives. But the Bible says that it's useful. All scripture is useful for rebuking us. The third one, it says it's useful for correcting. I would imagine that each one of us could use some course correction with God's word, with God into God's will for our lives. It has the ability to renew our mind, to be able to change them from a worldly mindset to a God-centered mindset. So that the Bible says in Romans 12, we can even discern the will of God. So that we know what the will of God is. So that we can follow His will. That's what the Bible teaches. That's what it does. It begins to shape our mind. It corrects our thoughts. It corrects our actions. And then the last one, it says, it's useful for training. In other words, it's useful for teaching us how to live. The right way to live. So you see this very simply. You see that in teaching, he tells us that he's going to show us what's right. In rebuking, he shows us what isn't right. In correcting, he brings us back to what is right. And in training, he's equipping us to stay right. Right? Yeah. That's what the Bible does. It teaches, it rebukes, it corrects, it trains. And it says it does this so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In other words, he's shaping us and molding us to do the works that he created for us to do before the foundations of the world. He's making us into his image to carry forth his image and his glory into a world that needs it. But we can't do that apart from his word. We've got to be a people who... Pick up the Bible. We don't do it because I got to read my word. Got to be in the word. We read it because, man, it's God. It's life. Where else will we turn? If we aren't in the word, man, we've got no foundation. We've got no hope 
All we've got is 60, 70, maybe 80 years. And then what? There's nothing to sustain us. But the Bible says that when we build our life on the word of God, that it's like digging a deep hole, finding solid rock, building our house on a solid foundation so that when the wind and the waves come, it's not shaken. So many times when our lives are falling apart, it's simply because we got away from the word of God. We didn't follow the word. I can tell you this. There's not one person in here who could have the testimony or would have the testimony that I made the worst decision of my life doing what the Bible says. Nobody. Right? Think about probably the worst decision of your life. And if they're sitting next to you, I'm sorry. That's, we, that's another message we're going to pick up in the fall. But think about the worst decision of your life. That kind of got me tickled. I, don't, I didn't say that in the first service. But. but think about it. You didn't make that decision following God. And so most of our problems, most of the issues that we have, if we read God's word and do what it says, they go away. You want to make your marriage better? Read God's word and do what it says. You want your life to be different? Read God's word. Do what it says. You want to raise your kids right? Read God's word. Do what it says. You want to have right relationships? Read God's word. Do what it says. But see, here's the thing that I realized, and I know this because I can tend to have the same feelings as well. The problem with it is when we hear those things of teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training, nobody in here was like, amen, preacher, come on now, come on. You, you, you go, preacher. Nobody says that. Like, we need to be taught. Nothing. Like crickets, right? You need to be rebuked. That's when everybody kind of puckers up a little bit. You need to be corrected. Nobody's like, yes. You need to be trained. Not a lot of excitement in that. We don't think about that in a good way. And, And I would say that one of the reasons for that is because of this. We don't realize that God's discipline in our life, that his correction in our life, that his teaching and his rebuking and his training in our life is not in order to take something from us, but to give something to us. We approach it from this mindset that God wants to take from me. But listen, as a parent, does any loving parent ever discipline their child to hurt them? Not a loving parent. Like if me and Reed, my two-year-old, are walking through the parking lot and he starts to run through the parking lot and I see a truck coming, is it more loving for me to say, Reed, stop, even though he might start to cry and pitch a fit? Or to say, Reed, go get him, big guy. I think you can take him. (laughs) You go for it. That F-250's got nothing on you, buddy. No. Why would I stop him? Why would I rebuke him? Why would I correct him? Why would I train him? You don't run in the parking lot because I want him to live. It's the same thing with God. We see God is trying to take something from us, not give something to us. God, listen, God doesn't need anything we have. He's the God of the universe that spoke everything into creation. If he wanted your 20 bucks every week, he'd just take it. Right? And we approach God as though he's trying to take something instead of trying to give something. But Jesus was very clear that he came to do what? To give life and to give it abundantly. 
But so many times we don't spend time in his word to even understand that. We don't realize that God's discipline is given to give us life, not to take it away. We don't realize that when God says to be give generously or that the preacher whoo, says give generously. It's not something that we're doing because we want something from you. It's because we want something for you. But because we approach the word and because we've been taught really probably shouldn't trust the pastor. We hear something about giving. And the first thing we think is, well, they must be short this month. That preacher, he probably bought them couches up there with that money we gave last week. He's going to take them to his house after this. And, which they are nicer than what I got at my house. But that light color would never work with my kids. Like we'd have it for 24 hours and there'd be Kool-Aid. There'd be grease stains. That's just from their hair, not from food. And it'd be, it'd be horrible. But we have that kind of mindset that it's like, man, they always want something from me. You, you hear the same thing when we talk about serving. Well, come on, serve, get involved, pour into the church. And it's like, why they got to have everybody wearing blue shirts? Always talking about serving. Everybody got to be serving. Everybody's shaking hands and shaking babies and, you know, laughing. And everybody, everybody got to wear them shirts. And I don't understand. Why can't I wear my own shirt? If they want me to serve, let me wear my own shirt. And I'm like, because serving is part of your discipleship. You need to serve. You serve at church? Yes. You serve outside of church? Yes. We serve people. We show God's love by serving. So we don't do it because we want to take some time from you. We do it because we believe it is a part of your discipleship and we believe it advances the kingdom when we show people love. But we come to this word, we come to God's truth and we think that he's always just trying to take something. We don't realize that God wants something for us. He wants to give us life, not to take it away. So many times we're lost. We don't have any direction, but we don't turn to God's word. But the Bible says that his word is like a lamp unto our feet. It shows us direction. It gives us clarity when we read it. Sometimes you might not know exactly what to do, but you'll begin to sense it. God will put something in your path in his word that shows you do this, do that. And, and here's the thing I can tell you, it might not have every single detail of your decision, but it's got enough in here to help you make every decision in your life. Every decision. We don't read it. Some of us need peace, man. You feel like you're going through a storm. I understand that. But you know what anchors you? God's word. It's when everything else seems to be going to hell in a handbasket. And you can say, I don't know anything, but this is what I know. I know that God is with me. I know that God is for me. In that moment where you need courage. So I don't know where else to draw it from, but I know this. God says he'll never leave me nor forsake me. I'm going to stand on his word. I'm going to stand my ground and I'm going to move forward. I'm going to trust what the Bible says becomes the foundation for life it's our identity it's where we discover not only who god is but we discover who we are both in christ and apart from christ and we see that life does come when we put faith in christ and when we abide in him through his word through prayer through faith through community we're abiding in him and we experience life so many times we're looking for wisdom the bible says look God's the source of all wisdom. And here's the cool thing. James 1.5 tells us that if we'll ask, God will give it to us generously. But he's always the last person we turn to. And I feel like so many times that's why our life ends up in the situation it's in. 
Sometimes things just happen to us. But a lot of times decisions we make, things we do, we wonder like, God, how could you do this? And I think there's so many times that God's going, you did that. If you just obeyed my word. And here's the thing I know, guys. Here's the thing I know. If we neglect to read, to allow God to impart this word into our lives, then we can exist, but we can't truly live. This is life. This is where God speaks to our hearts. It's living. It's active. God breathed into it. It is the power of God's word because it has the power of the Holy Spirit. And yet so many times we don't turn to it. I was thinking about it this week and I saw a couple of things that I really, I knew, but I never really put it together before. Um, and, and, and I started in 2 Timothy 3 that we read and I started going back and thinking about how many times and in how many places God spoke through the power of his spirit and people were changed or people were taught or people were rebuked, corrected, trained. And God began to influence change because he spoke, but it was empowered with the power of his Holy Spirit. Whether it was a prophet and a message came from God to them and then the Holy Spirit came upon them and they delivered that message with spirit and through the word. The power of the Spirit through the Word. And, and I started thinking about it and I went all the way back to all of these different examples. And I finally end up in the book of Genesis, right? I mean, go all the way through. And I'm seeing this example after example after example. And I get to Genesis 1 and it really kind of blew my mind. And I want to share this with you because this is where it starts. This is the beginning. And I believe the beginning of all life is where God works through His Word, which is empowered by His Spirit. Listen to Genesis 1. One and two. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Time out. A little side note. I believe the reason that this verse is the most controversial verse taught in school, or the most controversial thing taught in school and in so many different places, is because Satan knows if he can put doubt in our mind about the first sentence of the Bible, it casts doubt over everything else in the Bible. In the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So what was there? The earth was void. It was formless. And the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And then listen to these verses real quick. Verse 3. And God said, let there be light. In verse 6, and God said, let there be an expanse between the waters to separate water from water. Verse 9, and God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. Verse 11, then God said, let the land produce vegetation. Verse 14, and God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from night and to let them serve as signs to mark seasons and days and years. In verse 20, and God said, let the water team with living creatures and the birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. Verse 24, and God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds. And finally, verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image and our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air and over the livestock, over all the earth and over all the creatures 
that move along the ground. What do we see in that very first chapter of Genesis? One, we see that the Spirit is hovering over the face of the earth. And two, what does God begin to do? Speak. He begins to speak. And He begins to speak creation. I'm spitting again because I said speak. And when you speak, breath comes out of your mouth. And He begins to speak things into creation. But how was it formed? How was it shaped? Where did life come from? It came from the working of God's word through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God empowering his word to create life. I believe you see it in the first chapter. And you see it for the rest of the Bible. Then when God gives his word empowered by the Holy Spirit... Things change. Does that make sense? Nod, wake up, thumbs up. That when God speaks the power of his Holy Spirit and his Spirit-empowered word, things begin to change. Life begins to be created. I believe it's why the Bible says this. In, in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, it says that faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. So how do we come to faith in Christ? By hearing what? The word. Y'all can talk. Like, I'm not going to send you to the principal's office. We're in a school, but we won't send you to the principal's office. Through his word. Through hearing the word. So we have to hear the word to believe. But what does 2 Corinthians 12, 3 says? Say, says, good grammar. It says, wasn't good at English either. 2 Corinthians 12, 3 says that no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit. And so is it the word of God that brings us to faith? Or is it the Holy Spirit working that brings us to faith? Yes. The Spirit empowers the Word that opens our heart, that brings us from death to life, and shows us that God is who He says He is. And when the Spirit brings faith, when we hear the Word of God and faith comes, we get to this place where Romans 10, or 10, 9 and 10, says that if we'll confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that He was raised from the dead, we will be saved. But it has to be when we hear the Word of God that has been empowered by the Holy Spirit. And what I want you to see in that is that when God's empowered Spirit-empowered word comes into our life. When we finally receive that word, it brings new life. Life is created. Just like in Genesis, when the spirit was over the face of the deep and, and, and there was nothing there. It was void. It was dark. It was lifeless. And listen, that's where some of you are today. Your life is void. It's dead. It's dark. It's lifeless. And this is what I know. God can speak in an instant. You can hear the good news of Jesus, that he did go to the cross for you, that he did die death for you, that he did take God's wrath for you, that he did get buried in a tomb, that he did rise on the third day, that he did ascend into heaven, and that God's spirit did come to earth to bring people like you and me who don't deserve it back to him, giving us life, taking what was void, what was dark, what was formless, and giving it life. That's what God does, and he does it through the spirit-empowered word. That's what he does. Some of you are testimony. That raise your hand. The word of God's changed your life. Raise your, just raise your hand. Be proud. We're in church. We can be bold here. Yes. Amen. Word of God's changed your life. The word of God's changed you. It, got, it gave you new life. But there's also another scripture I want to point you to. And this one, man, it rocked my world this week. I'm just going to tell you. It spoke to my heart so much. And, and, and 
And I pray I can do it justice here. It's in Ezekiel chapter 37. And I want to read to you the very first three verses. And I want to tell you what was going through my mind as I was reading. And I'm, I'm thinking about new life that comes through the power of the Spirit of God. I'm thinking about the work of God through His Word. I'm thinking about His Spirit-empowered Word that gives life. I'm thinking about God giving new life. And then I read this. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and He brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them. And I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. These bones were bleached. It was, it was, they were... They were These people had long been dead. He asked me, son of man, can these bones live? I said, oh, sovereign Lord, only you know. When I read that verse this week, man, it just went off in me like a firecracker. It's like, bam. And I knew this. I knew that there would be people here today who you feel like you're in that valley. You feel like you're in the valley of dry bones. You feel hopeless. These people were absolutely hopeless. They thought there was nothing good left in their life. They felt like everything had had been taken from them. They were literally in captivity. Ezekiel was a prophet prophesying to the people of Israel, to the Jewish people. And these people were hopeless. They were in captivity, held captive. By a foreign enemy. It looked as though God had deserted him. And God speaks to Ezekiel. And he says, Ezekiel, in this vision, he says, do you see these dry bones? And he's like, God, only you know. Only you know, Lord, if they can come back to life. And I was reading it, man. And I was like, gosh, how many of us are in that place or have been in that place where we wonder, Can I find life again? For some of us, it may be that our faith just got cold. Maybe it was on fire and somehow we drifted away. Somehow we feel like we're in this valley of dry bones. And you can say, well, we're not Jews. We're not Israel. No, but we're the children of God. And sometimes it's easy for us to find ourselves in this valley. Listen to what he says on from there he says then he said to me prophesy in other words Ezekiel I want you to speak to these bones and say to them dry bones hear the word of the Lord this is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones I will make breath enter you when you will come to life I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin I will put breath in you and you will come to life then you will know that I am the Lord so I prophesied so I spoke so I said as I was commanded and I, as I was prophesying there was a noise a, a rattling sound and the bones came together bone to bone I looked the tendons and flesh appeared on the and skin covered them but there was no breath in them see here's the thing i want you to understand i didn't even say this now but i believe this is for you here today that that god didn't just try to make them look a little better he didn't just want to cover up the the deadness he didn't want to just cover up the the sin and the guilt and the things that nobody else wanted to look at or the things that you want to hide the bible says he didn't just put a new covering on it but that he was going to breathe life into it It wasn't just about trying to make you look better. It was about giving you life. It's about life entering your body. It was about the Spirit of God inhabiting you to begin to give you a new life. 
Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come from the four winds, O breath. Breath here is the same Hebrew word, ruach. It means spirit. So you could just as well say, O spirit, come into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. And I wonder how many of us feel like that today. Our faith is cold. We're in a situation we don't think we'll get through. We don't know what to do. Verse 12 says, therefore prophesy, say to them, Ezekiel, speak to them and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Oh, my people, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and bring you up from them, I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it declares the Lord. I believe with all my heart because I've experienced myself and I've watched so many other people experience it that when we receive God's spirit-empowered word, it changes our life. In Romans 10 and 2 Corinthians 12, we see that it brings new life. It brings salvation. It brings a relationship with Jesus. But in Ezekiel, the overarching theme of that scripture is that where God's spirit is, there is life for his people. Where God's spirit-empowered word is proclaimed, there is deliverance from death. Some of us today have faith in Christ and maybe we've known Christ for years But we need a resurrection of our own faith. Some of us today have never known Jesus. And some of us may have played religious games, but you don't know him. You've never been made new. And at the core of your being, you know it. But today there's something in you that pushes past your intellect and says, you know, at the core of your being, that his word is true, that Jesus is who he says he is, and that your mind can try to wrap around it and not get it. But there's something at the core of your being that says, I just know. I just know. What is it? Is God working? through the power of his word. Some of us, we need to get back to reading the Bible, not to do a duty, but to hear the voice of God. I've noticed in my own life, when I start feeling like my faith is weak, when I start feeling like there's the passion is, 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 is fading, I also start realizing I haven't been in the word. It brings life. It brings faith. When we hear it, when we read it, we proclaim it. It brings faith. This is what I don't know. I know know some of you here don't know Christ. And for some of you, it doesn't bother you. And maybe it didn't until you walked in this morning. But now you know, like, I, I believe it's true. And so you may be sitting there thinking, I don't even believe. I believe it's true. But I believe it's true because God's done something in me. And I know. And I know I need that. I know I need new life. I need Jesus. I just want to say to you, we need to nail that down today. We need to start this new life. We need to start this new journey in faith. You need to start it with a body of believers. 
Maybe today is the day that your eternity changes forever. And eternity begins now. It changes us now. And we're going to give you that opportunity. All we're doing is extending the invitation that Jesus has already extended. All we're doing is saying, would you receive what God has offered through His Son? And the question is, do you know Him as your Savior? If you do, man, that's awesome. But if you don't today, or you didn't before you walked in here today, but God's done something in your heart, man, we want to know. We want to see you take a step of faith and begin this faith journey. Jesus is calling you to. And I'm going to ask you to be very bold. We're not going to back away from this, man. And I know, man, like if you walked in church, you haven't been to church in a while, it'd be intimidating. But I can tell you this, we want to celebrate the life of God in you. And so I want to ask you, you don't know him, but today you know, man, he's done something in my heart and I want to know him. I'm going to ask you right now just to stand to your feet. Let us, let us know that. Profess it to people. Let them know. And let us celebrate the life of God with you. And let us walk this journey through with you. And you know today that he's spoken to you. Will you stand to your feet? Stand up and let us, let us pray with you. Let us celebrate with you the life that God's offered. Do you accept it? the invitation today? Who are you? Where are you? God's knocking on your heart. And today you'd receive it. Here's the second thing. I know, I know some of you in here and your faith's cold. And I found that that's a part of our Christian journey. But sometimes, man, we're up here and sometimes it feels like we're sort of in that valley. Today, I'd like to pray for you. I'd like to pray for you and ask that the Spirit of God through His Word is preached today, that you would go home and open and read, hearing the voice of God through it. Begin to awaken your spirit. Awaken the fire, fan the fire into a roaring flame. I'd like to pray for you today, man. Your faith is cold. You need a resurrection of your own faith. Would you acknowledge that? Would you take a step of faith and say, I want that today? And Just stand up. Stand up to your feet. Just stand up where you are. I know people are here. Thank you today you just need a reawakening we sang a song about awakening would you admit today I need an awakening in my spirit so here's the problem in church and this is not meant to be harsh but the problem in church is that we come in and I know there's people in here who have that need and there's one young lady that's willing to admit it called to be a body that strengthens each other and that cares for each other but we won't let down our guard we won't let people know that we need prayer unless there's 500 people in here that are way stronger than me <laughs> there's more people that need prayer than that because it isn't about me I don't go home and put notches in my belt about how many people stood up it's about us being real with God I'm going to pray for these two. Amen. These three. I'm praying. You know it's you. You stand in faith and believe with us. Lord, I thank you for the two that have stood. I pray that you would ignite a fire in their heart, the three, Lord, that stood. I, I pray you would ignite a fire in their heart. 
God, I pray that your word will become alive to them. And I pray that when they open it, God, they would pray for it to come alive. And I pray, Lord, that by the power of the Holy Spirit that is in them, if they are believers in you, that, God, you would fan into flame that spirit and it would become a consuming fire. It would roar. And God, when they walk out these doors, I pray that they would look to you, look to your word, and they would be alive in them. Lord Jesus, I thank you for becoming the word made flesh and giving your life for us. I thank you that you ascended to the right hand of the Father and that you sent back your spirit to live in us. God, do what only you can do for each one of us. Change our hearts and set them on fire for you. In Jesus' name.